great events create great brands. And it takes a village to put on an event that engages, excites, and connects audiences to your brand. And we're that village. I'm Alyssa. I'm Paulina. And I'm Rachel. And you're listening to Great Events, the podcast for all people interested in events and marketing. Hello, everyone. What has been going on in this wide, wide world of events? My name is Alyssa, and you are tuning into the Great Events Podcast. All right, so today we have an awesome guest, but before I introduce him, I do want to tell you a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today. Accessible technology. Accessible technology is really changing the way we do events, especially for those who have disabilities. It was not too long ago that in-person events were inaccessible, truly not even accessible to people with certain disabilities. And now with intention and technology, people like our guests are helping to change this space for the better. I am super excited today to introduce Stephen Cutchins to you. He is the Senior Product Manager of Accessibility here at CVEN, a new member to our team. He has a true gift for transforming organizations to be more accessible, to be more inclusive, and we are super lucky to have him on the show today. Hi, uh, Stephen Cutchins. I've been uh, about 23 years in IT industry. I was for a very, very long time an IT consultant, federal consultant, consulting with IT companies flying around all the U.S., you know, helping them with their needs. About 16 or so years ago, I lucked into accessibility. We were on a federal project and the team said, hey, we have to do this ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, Section 508 thing. It's a it's a procurement law for accessibility for federal agencies. Somebody needs to figure this out. And I, I said, why not? I'll try something new. And I, I loved it. It clicked. It became my passion. A couple of years of doing it off the side of my desk, really trying to push it. Next thing you know, I got it as a full-time job, and I've been doing it about a decade and a half ever since. Really love what I do. I have a family history with disabilities. My mother was an amputee, so she had to have a leg removed at the hip. Had two cousins with cerebral palsy, both in wheelchairs. Um, one couldn't speak at all. One was nonverbal. So things like when you're a little kid and going to Disney and they're in wheelchairs, you it clicks like Disney is inclusive. We can go here in the, you know, 80s or whatever it was, we can go here because back then that was one of the few places kids in wheelchairs could go. They had ramps. They really thought about it. So I have a neurological disorder called Tourette syndrome. My Both of my kids have it, not as luckily, not as severe as I do, but still it doesn't impact my use of IT, but it makes me maybe a little more sensitive to it. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I know the saying goes, Disney is the most magical place on earth for a reason, right? So for those of you who are listening who don't know what accessibility is, let's just get to the basics here. Can you explain it and describe what accessible technology looks like? Accessibility is people with disability can utilize the service or the product or whatever it is. So if it's in a hotel or you know, if somebody right now working at a hotel understands there's ADA laws, Americans with Disabilities Act says somebody in a wheelchair has to be able to get through your entrance. So you can't have just a revolving door. There has to be a door that, you know, you can hit a button and that door opens automatically to enable somebody in a wheelchair, somebody who's blind, uses a white cane, somebody with a service animal, they can still enter your facility. Accessibility applies to all those IT services also. So if somebody is fully blind, they have to be able to use whatever form of assistive technology they use. Assistive technology is like there's the JAWS screen reader most people have heard about. 
Um, if you don't know what a screen reader is, Stephen Hawking, the, the voice that he uses to communicate, that kind of robotic voice, that's, that's a, in, in essence, it's a screen reader. It reads what's on the screen, all the text, but it also identifies if it's a button, it says button, it says the name of the button. If it's a, if it's a, a list of, you know, one, whatever, two, whatever, it'll say list of seven items. So, you know, hey, there's seven things coming up. It says links, it says headings. So I'm lucky my eyes work, um, at least with my glasses. But I can look at a, a page and see that big, bold text at the top of the page or top of a, pro, of a software product. Well, that's that's the name of the page. Semantically, we have to create that what's called markup to relay back to the screen reader. Because if I can look at this and say, OK, this is the Cvent homepage. That's important to me to know I'm on the right page. Somebody who's blind needs to have that same benefit. So in assistive technology, we, we talk about blind. That tends to be the the one everybody talks about. It's It's the... Not the hardest to code, but you really have to do a lot of things, not just from the way it looks, but sometimes have to do back end stuff. So it works with a screen reader that somebody like me who cited would never even know. There's all kinds of markup that you can do, ARIA markup. And, you know, anyway, I won't get too technical, but essentially blind is the hardest, but you could be limited vision. So you have to be able to zoom in, you know, double the screen size. You could be deaf. So you need captions or you might need you can't just use audio prompts. You could be colorblind. Forget, I think it's 12% of men are also color vision deficient, CVD or known as colorblind, but there's a wide spectrum of that. About 12% of men, only about 0.5% of women. So, I mean, if you get 100 men in a room, odds are 12 of them have difficulty seeing. So, if you're running an event in person, don't say, well, the good parts are highlighted in green, the bad parts are highlighted in red. Somebody who's fully color vision deficient or colorblind, they can't tell the difference anyway. There was a big football game many years ago where they had one team in all green, one in all red, and all the colorblind folks are like, I can only tell by the team. This is true. I can only tell by the team. One's facing east, one's facing west. Other than that, I'm out. <laughs> I can't tell what the difference is. Stephen, I have a I have a question that's kind of related to this because obviously disabilities are on a spectrum, right? It's vast. There's lots of different things. As you, from a product and and technology side, you have kind of and this is a very simplistic term, but a checklist that you're kind of going off of, you're saying, okay, for an individual who has trouble with sight, these are types of things that I need to look for. And and who's determining that checklist? Is that an ADA type of thing? Or is that something that we're innovating around as well? So there are standards, which is, and they're, they're really good. They're a little hard to read, but they're great standards. There's an organization called W3 or World Wide Web Consortium. They create standards for, among other things, uh, accessibility of, of anything that shows up on a web page. The standards are called WCAG, or Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. I throw out lots of acronyms, but I'll say them out also. Um, we do, and U.S. federal government, well, <laughs> U.S. federal government does a slightly older one, but I mentioned that law, Section 508, it aligns with the slightly older WCAG 2.0 AA. We follow the newer, and most companies do, follow the newer WCAG 2.1 AA. Outside of that, we have to have testing. For, it just says, for example, um, I mentioned somebody who's blind in assistive technology, a, a screen reader, a, a Braille output. So if they're blind, they can they can they're actually displays that can read in real time uh, uh, in Braille, so they can read with their fingers. Imagine somebody who's blind and also deaf, called deafblind. Um, so there are guidelines that say, for example, if you have an image on on your website or on your software product, it has to have what's called alt text. A screen reader can't say, hey, that's a picture of a flower, so I'm going to tell that person it's a picture of a flower. I have to put that in the code. Um, and then if it's not done, they just hear that it's an image. So the standards say you have to have alt text. We 
have to specify internally how we're going to add that, how we're going to describe it. If it's a picture of a flower and it's a report on pollen, maybe it shouldn't just say flower. It should say it's a picture of ragweed that has a high pollen count in the fall. So, um, and then I won't even get into lots and lots of about a hundred and whatever steps just to test all of this stuff for a quality engineer. Not only are we, I mean, we obviously have to handle the North America or the U.S. based requirements, but being a global company with global audiences, like there's got to be that layer that adds complexity to ensuring that we're complying across all of these different regions as well. So not an easy feat, I'm sure, Stephen. Luckily, now most countries have chosen WCAG 2.1 AA to be a little different. And some South Africa had a slightly different one, mostly when you're working with with their government, but now luckily everybody said theirs is so good. <laughs> Let's roll. Yeah, what I'm getting here is that those standards then are super important to make sure that, you know, accessibility is truly available for a wide range of people. That's super, super cool. What do you think is moving the needle forward for accessibility? And can you give us maybe an example of that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the products themselves for this is a little more for, like, say, the planners where they're creating a site. They're going into registration. I mentioned adding those images. We enable it so they can add alt text right through registration. So we try to make it as easy as possible. For an attendee hub, uh, oh, so I mentioned color vision efficient or colorblind, um, but also low vision. There are standards that W3 that WCAG has that you should have, the, the number's 4.5, but you should have at least 4.5 contrast depending on the text size between text and background. So perfect black on white is I think it's 22 to one. But if you pick, I like pink, let's say, I pick pink text on a red background, that's such low contrast. It would, for all of us, it would be awful. But for people who have lower vision or color vision efficient, they just see a big blob of, you know, it could be red, it could be gray, whatever color they see. So if you happen to have a bad color contrast ratio, we won't stop users, but Attendee Hub says, hit the brakes. This is a bad combination. You should reconsider your colors. And we're trying, I don't think it's in yet, but we're, we actually want to come up with here are some other suggestions. Let's say, you, like I mentioned, the pink on red. Let's say instead of red, you could go really, really deep red and that would pass. We would, again, I don't think we do it yet. We're working on it, but it would be cool to say, hey, you clearly like pink on red. Maybe you can choose a lighter pink on that red, or you can choose that pink on a darker red and it would, it would pass these guidelines so people could see it. So we, I mean, there are other things that you have to know, but all the things that the software can help with, we're trying to make it kind of, we, we want to limit people's exposure to making, it, making a mistake because it's going to be bad for the attendees. All right, Stephen. So where do we go from here? Well, one of the things we want to do, this is, this is pretty forward thinking. I have a, my brain, my gears are always running. I have a lot of forward thinking things. One of them is we need to offer training to our planners. We have to. For now, I'm, you know, a little bit of patience. I'm, we're still training our own people. We bought, gee, I think about 800 licenses of training from another company to get for accessibility, specific for designers and developers. And it's not really for planners. Thing for planners really isn't out there very much. So we want to create our own training that we can have a, a quarterly reconnect, uh, something where we get everybody together and say, okay, for the next quarter or next month, whatever we do, let's talk about color contrast. Let's talk about adding, you know, what's appropriate alt text for images. Because when you add it, like I mentioned earlier with the picture of a flower, it kind of goes by context. Context, And I don't want somebody adding it. Oh, it's a yellow flower. I'm going to put yellow flower. Well, you're at a conference about pollen or about allergies. That's not enough. So we want to offer training that. What I really want to do longer term is offer a, an a CVENT accessibility certified planner. 
I really want to make it where, especially like our third-party planners, they they know what to do. Give me a little bit of time. These are things I really want to do a, a little longer term, but I, I think people need it. I think they'd appreciate that. There's a whole suite of people involved in developing websites, designing attendee hub, creating these virtual experiences, but also the experiences on site. And so there is sort of this mutual need between event professionals, between event marketers to kind of socialize this with perhaps other teams that are responsible for developing the website or our event builders who are building out the registration website. So I feel like this is very similar how, you know, we've talked about on previous podcast episodes, this large large partnership with marketing organization peers, right? So tapping into our creative teams, tapping into the event technologists, this is just another area for further collaboration and more knowledge sharing. But I love the idea of an accessibility planner certification. That's amazing. And this is outside of our software, but if you're, let's say, using our software to create an event, you might have a bunch of cameras, you're going to do it hybrid. It might be, a well, yeah, you're going to offer a hybrid option. You, you have captions and you have a sign language interpreter. That's great. But you have to know that your one of your cameras has to have a dedicated feed on that sign language interpreter. This has happened before where the audience starts clapping and they pan to the audience. And the sign language interpreter is doing the signing for that people are clapping. They, they don't know. They don't know if, if they're missing something, if something's being said. So little things like that you don't think about. The camera operators are like, oh, everybody's cheering. Let's go to them. Or the person, they'll, they'll uh, focus the, the person who's speaking. If the camera's on them, suddenly they turn around and they start pointing at what's in the background. And the people who were either deaf or trying to read lips, they're gone. So it's little things to think about that there's a lot. You want to be inclusive. Uh, one other thing I just thought of, I, I've been in a lot of accessibility conferences and they do it right. You need to have chairs. If you do have a sign language interpreter, it's not just for people on online. It's for people in the audience. Make sure that the people who are deaf or need a sign language interpreter, make sure they sit in the front. Because what you don't want is those overzealous people who get early and sit all in the front chairs. And then the person who people who are deaf are all the way stuck in the back. It took them longer to get there. It took them longer to find that, you know, to get a seat. So they're in the back and the sign language interpreter is a little dot a <laughs> hundred yards that way. So little things to think about. It's the software. It's the, it starts the, even before the registration, when you're planning this, having your sign language interpreters, having that dedicated, dedicated camera, have reserved seats for people who are deaf, that kind of thing. This kind of dovetails nicely into a conversation that Rachel and Paulina and I have had a lot related to kind of subject matter expertise and specialization that's happening in the meetings and events industry and that there is a lot of everyone's kind of staying in their lanes a lot more. There's this kind of emerging role of event technologists. There's these production specialists, like everybody's getting kind of hyper focused in their in their areas. And I think this can become manageable if everybody's responsible for their areas of contribution. I'm seeing that as as we start thinking about how we would execute an event program at Cvent. I can see all the different handoffs and everybody kind of having an ownership role in the accessibility piece, as opposed to one accessibility czar that's trying to think about all of this. And obviously, some things are going to fall through the cracks. But if this is distributed and is kind of a principle of the team, more of a comment, not necessarily a question, but it echoes what's going on in the in the the market specifically. Yeah, like with Cvent specific, they they hired me under products, but have from day one said this isn't really a products role. This is like a company wide role. Even things like helping with our from a disabilities employee resource group, the marketing and the sales and the outside of just the design and the testing and the and the software development, so much stuff touches people with disabilities. HR, if we go to hire somebody who's 
who has a certain disability that makes it difficult or impossible for them to get into an office, can we offer alternative means? Can we do remote? Can we meet at their house and interview them? The building is covered by ADA laws, but the procedures are not. So we have to make sure we, we just want to be inclusive. Thinking about perhaps some organizations, planners who are just starting their path, creating a larger effort to offer more inclusive and accessible events. We've alluded to a checklist. Of course, there are standards that can be referenced, but kind of tapping into what Alyssa was saying, subject matter experts, reaching out to your attendees, socializing the questions with perhaps the individuals to help them curate or contribute to the experiences that us planners are designing. Would love to hear kind of just your thoughts on it makes sense to source and survey your attendees. Or let me give you another thought. There are unique groups that you can go to to source answers to questions in terms of your starting point, how to build reg, what have you. So would you say go to your attendees first or are there any other sort of resources that we could guide some of our planners early on in their journey to start to reference? For example, accessibility of remote meetings, that W3.org, I mentioned that Worldwide Web Consortium, they have one that has three big things. One of them is it's on us, it's choose accessible software. And then it's you have to make sure the presentation itself is accessible that somebody is sharing on a screen because that still has to have good color contrast. And the third is make sure if you have any handouts, make sure they're accessible. Because what you don't want to do is, okay, I can print this out. And it had poor color contrast when it was pink on red and you print it out in black and white and it's just a blob of gray. Or what if somebody has a difficulty reading, they might have low vision, they are blind, you hand them a piece of paper. Oh, there you go. What are you going to do? Do you offer it in alternate formats? That kind of thing. But Paulina, you're dead on. And I've talked to some other organizations about this. Just have a conversation. Don't be afraid to have a conversation and just query your attendees and say, do you need any accommodations? We seem to be very, very good about saying, are you vegetarian? Do you have any allergies to food? Well, what about... Do you have any visual disabilities? Are you colorblind? Are you fully blind? Believe me, somebody would much rather not eat lunch than go to your event and it turns out they can't see, can't understand anything because it's all like, okay, read this slide and then we'll talk about it in a minute and they're blind. They would much rather not eat lunch if they're a vegetarian than they would not be able to get anything from your event because they're not able to consume it. We're listening to, that's why I like podcasts like this. That's why this is important. It spreads the word. And a perfect real live event. I don't know if you see event we had in all hands this morning and I got very lucky. It was for promotions and I got to in ASL American Sign Language congratulate the people because we were doing it where somebody from every com country got to say, you know, congratulations in English and in India, congratulations in Hindi and well, Australia. They said however they said it, but I got to do it in ASL, which is cool, but it wasn't my idea. And that's the awesome part. Somebody said, what about ASL? And they contacted me and said, can you do it? And I had to Google some of the things because I didn't know it all. So my son knows it better than me. He's studying it. But the, the best thing is it wasn't my idea. Somebody said, oh, ASL is a language. We're doing it in all these other languages. We need to include sign language. And that's the coolest thing. That's when CVN, it really is becoming culture, not just hey, our products are accessible. It really is impacting everything. So it's a cool, let's be proud moment. Ah, uh, yeah. So the more inclusive, the better. I think we, we hear back from products, the biggest thing. It, if I could jump forward, we have plans of, like I mentioned, these white papers and, and training on how to create accessible events. That's when I think this is really going to be really, really kind of special, really satisfying. 
I want to go to an event once where it's just absolutely flawless. You know, I can uh, pretend I'm blind and go, okay, let me use the tablet. And all of these conversations I've had with our product folks for on arrival, there's a, a dedicated tablet running a screen reader. So, cause you don't, you don't use your own, you use tablets there. And we don't want to have a screen reader running for anybody because Alyssa goes to log in and she doesn't need a screen reader. And suddenly it's screaming things out at you. Like, I don't understand. You go to the help desk, right? So we want to have a dedicated tablet for people who are blind, who need that. I think it's a great idea. I literally, this was a conversation yesterday. I think planners or companies are very appreciative of the effort. They know we're not perfect. We're not there yet. We we do get rated, by the way. We, uh, we, we just started this after I came here. There's a thing called a VPAT or Voluntary Product Accessibility Template. We brought in, we want to be completely transparent. We brought in a third-party accessibility firm to, to audit us. We're starting with obviously the big ones. We're starting with registration, attendee hub, web, and mobile. Um, so we have our first four VPATs done. We want to put them on our on our public site. So we, we want to be completely transparent about where we're good, where we're bad, or somewhere where we're in between. And then once we get that, then we're just going to start working on, you know, whatever defects are listed, we're going to start working on them. I think with companies, the most important thing is we're making the effort. We're not lying. We're not perfectly. We're not perfect. We're not 100% accessible. We want to get there. But for now, this is where we stand. And luckily, it was great. We didn't have any critical defects, which is always a nice thing, because I'm sure there are products out there that, hopefully not ours, that are just showstoppers. Doesn't work at all with the keyboard. Doesn't work at all with the screen reader. Luckily, we do a lot of testing and a lot of coding for this. I'm sure some sites and products don't. Uh, hopefully getting this out there and being transparent about it. Com- companies seem to appreciate that. I would add to that. Everything you've touched on has been amazing. And I feel like just as we've alluded to, we've kind of started the process, at least in our own total event program, right? Understanding how we can further lean into the technology, but our sweet spot as traditional planners, right? As experience makers is we don't want to just tick the box and meet the threshold. Like I want to make sure that I'm drawing upon and creating memorable experiences for everyone, right? I don't want just the people in the room on site to be able to know how beautiful the colors are on the LED screen. I want to be able to like, or how amazing certain things, you know, taste or smell, right? Like there are certain areas where I want to extend ticking the box to wow, they really made that memorable. And I'm only going to give like one quick anecdote because it happened to be on my Instagram feed yesterday. But I think it was one of those good news network, whatever good news today, Instagram handles. And it was this woman celebrating a milestone birthday. She was blind. And the woman who had made the reservation. And it's just talking about how you communicate this, right? And then how the hotel, how the planner is able to like really extend it. They, of course, brought her this beautiful happy birthday dessert, which everyone else could see. And what the chef did was he used hardening chocolate and wrote happy birthday in Braille. And it was one of those moments where that was an experience. That was something that could be extended, incorporated into an event that obviously is in person, but I'd love to find ways to draw upon that for our virtual experiences and, of course, leaning into the technology to make that happen. So I had a test lead at a prior company. Her name was Lisa, and I talk about her a lot at work, and uh, she was great. I consider her a friend. She was great. And Lisa was uh, had uh, SMA, spinal muscular atrophy, so um, her muscles were locking up in a wheelchair, you know, a big, heavy wheelchair, no use of her legs, limited use of her right hand. She had a special titanium stylus that weighed like 0.1 ounces. 
And she did everything through a, a mouth stick or a sip and puff device, it's called, you know, controlling your, I think she could use her hand for a wheelchair, but like navigate on the web, it was a, you know, it was a, a stick. I'm holding up a pen to but simulate it, but she would put it in her mouth and she would move it to move her cursor on the screen. And when she wanted to click on something, she would blow. And then if she wanted to right click, she would sip. I think I got maybe the backwards, but it's called a sip and puff device. And she went in the eight years we worked together at this company, she went to one conference once because she had to go with a PCA or personal care assistant. I'm lucky. I can, you know, my legs work. I can hop on a plane and, and fly somewhere and see the directions and listen to the presentation. And it was very difficult for her. She went to one. So we need to change that. And it may be even just because getting a big heavy wheelchair, getting on a plane, all this stuff, it, it's difficult. The virtual events and the hybrid events, that works for her. And that's one of the greatest things about COVID is three years ago, nobody really considered that. And now suddenly like I, me, I have to attend virtually. It's an option though. Now it is for Lisa also. So it's kind of changed the industry for way for the better. The good thing about COVID, <laughs> not a lot good about it, but one of his. Absolutely. You know, some of the takeaways from events during the, you know, the COVID era, if you will, have changed the industry for the better. I think we can all agree to that. We are seeing that across the board. So, you know, keeping this in mind, we have to ask ourselves, you know, what can we do to help make in-person events more accessible? What's one small thing that event hosts can do to help make future events more possible? Do you have any thoughts on that, Stephen? I do think, just think about all people. I'm, my eyes work, my ears work, my mouth works, my legs work, my hands work. I'm really lucky. Not everybody's like that. Don't get too bogged down in it. Sometimes it could simply be ask your attendees what will work best for them. And it may be something super, super easy. Like I mentioned, if somebody's, you might you know done the right thing. You have a sign language interpreter, you know, for an in-person event, ask them what they need because they might just say, hey, don't forget, I have to be in the front row. It could be something as simple as that. And that one person, if they weren't, they're done. They can't understand anything other than what they could maybe read because they can't. So um, so just little things like asking your attendees. I think that's probably the biggest thing is um, and keep an open mind. It's really not that difficult. Once again, I want to thank Stephen for joining us on the Great Events Podcast today. It has been such a pleasure to talk to you about all of these things and the progress that we're making in this space. And we're so grateful again for the work that you're doing. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Great Events, a podcast by Seafoam. If you want more resources on how to make your events great, go to community.cvent.com. That's community.cvent.com. Or if you've got a question for us or just want to say hi, email us at greatevents at cvent.com.